Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Travis Chambers from Chamber Media. And if you want to learn how to build unforgettable relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with my boy, Travis Chambers. Travis is a Forbes 30 under 30 loss maker and founder of Chamber Media, the industry leader in data-crafted video ads with over 4,000 productions, $80 million in managed spend, and $600 million in tracked revenue, massively scaling direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, tripling the revenue of five multi-million dollar brands, and taking Mr. Cool from $10 million a year to $100 million a year in just three years. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation uh, that we're going to have with Travis. And uh, it was kind of confusing because when I was looking at the bio, the, his, his last name was cut off. And so all I saw was Travis C-H-A, and I thought I was interviewing myself today. So um, it'll, it'll be a cool conversation with Travis. I, I respect the hell out of what they've been able to build. And I love, love, love the style of ads that they put together. 
And so we're going to talk a lot about those types of things. But first, really quickly, if you are a podcaster or a content creator, and you wonder how I book some of the amazing guests that I have here on the show, I use uh, the, my own platform now that I, that I built. It's called Guestio. And uh, if you're a content creator, you can go over there, sign up for a free account. You can find, search, book, manage your ideal, your dream guests, the people that you really want to have on your show. There's a whole marketplace full of free um, interviews and there's a marketplace full of paid interviews if you want to just skip the line and uh, break through all the gatekeepers and not take months of reaching out to get your dream guest just head over to guestio.com that's guestio.com and uh, you can uh, browse through our list of guests with your free account today that's guestio.com Travis what's up bro thanks so much for joining me on the show hey man just a couple of dads talking biz you know what I mean that's that's facts bro that's facts and uh, as of this recording I just had my daughter I uh, was about two, two, three days ago. Honestly, it's all kind of a blur, which I'm sure you are very familiar with, Travis. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a blur at this point. And the days seem to just kind of be one big giant day around this time. But uh, it's all good, man. It's all good. She's, she's killing it. She's sleeping really well. And, and mom and baby are both happy. So I can't... Yeah, you've got this new startup and um, you're working really hard on it. Not sleeping all night, working on it all night. But growth looks good. Yeah, exactly. Look, looks healthy. Startup looks healthy. <laughs> exactly. I did a LinkedIn post once about that when my uh, last baby was born. Having a child is like having a startup. <laughs> it's just like... That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. The funny thing is that I actually have a, a actual startup and a child. <laughs> some, some stupid reason I thought it'd be cool to start a company around the same time that my daughter was going to be born. So, um, hey, I've been there too. I know how that feels. Well, cool, man. I want to jump in here, build some context for those listening. And and really, first off, I just want to commend you on all the amazing work that you guys have done over at Chamber Media. I'm a huge fan of all things comedy. And uh, I just really enjoy the creative perspective you guys take on a lot of things you do. And uh, just to kind of bring some context in here at the beginning before we dive into your story, what, what are a couple of maybe the more memorable ads that you think people listening might really remember or stand out to them? Yeah, um, we did one with Transparent Labs where we put two huge blunders on a white, white, big white wall. And then these blunders were like 12 feet tall just huge. And then we like blended, you know, competitors versus ours. Some people remember, remember, remember that one. The most notable one I've actually ever worked on was Kobe versus Messi, which was right before I started Chamber Media. I was at Crispin Porter and Bogeski and um, we got Kobe Bryant and Lionel Messi, Messi to do a selfie shoot off mm, um, for Turkish Airlines. Yeah, I got like 150 million views, did really well. Anyways, we've done some others, you know, Nerd Skincare, we did with Laura Clary, she's a big Facebook influencer. But anyways, it's funny because our ads are pretty niche usually. We haven't done any ads that are mass market products like soap or, yeah, you know, yeah. things like that. We've, our biggest successes have been in more niche products. So we don't really have the like 100 million view type videos. We have a lot of like 30, 40 million view videos that I was going to say though, yeah. Know, but, but no one else would know. Yeah, I was going to say though, that's kind of the impressive part about it though, right? Is that you can still pull 30, 40 million views out of something that's hyper niche content, which is, uh, which is saying something. So um, let's go ahead and dive in a little bit into your background, bro, because uh, I find these parts of the conversation interesting. Because most people, when they're growing up, don't have it on their uh, to-do list to become a like video marketer, especially back when back when we were growing up. So, can you kind of talk me through, let's say, eleven, twelve-year-old Travis? Where were you? What part of the country were you growing up in? What were your parents, you know, doing at the time? Things like that. Yeah, backwoods of Vancouver, Washington, right north of Portland, towards the Mount St. Helens wilderness. 
and I just spend days and hours out in the forest and um, had the VHS shoulder mount camera at the time. And um, I used to tape that thing to my motorcycle helmet, go off jumps with it and stuff <laughs> like, like a 20 pound. I mean, really I got like whiplash yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from that and then had the two VCRs, you know, and I was obsessed with Travis Pastrana and, you know, Brian Deegan and, and all these like motocross guys, Ricky Carmichael, all those guys. I was just worshiped those guys. My, my whole wall is just full of that. So that, that motocross thing is really what got me into the whole film thing. And then when I was actually 11 or 12, I, I told my parents I wanted to own an ad agency. <laughs> wow. and so you actually stuff. did want to become a video marketer. Pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, my dad was in sales and marketing for Monsanto, which okay. is a long story because Monsanto has killed a lot of people. Um, my dad actually has Parkinson's from exposure there. So it's, mm. it's a long story. But anyways, I, I was raised, you know, with the sales and marketing dad and so it made it a little bit easier to 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 see when i was little i knew i was really creative but i you know my dad was in my ear like dude don't don't try and go be a musician musician or something it's going to be a total mess and i think he was right i think it's provided a, a platform to be really creative but also to grow a really strong legitimate business that allows me to right. do other things as well but yeah that was pretty much it and um it was a pr major did a viral stunt in college, got me a job at my dream agency, then went to 20th Century Fox and then started Chamber Media. Cool. So talk to me a little bit about your job experience. What was, uh, what was that like for you? Did, was it immediately just something where you're like, I, I know I want to start a business. This is not for me. Or did you have like a lot of fun doing it, but just kind of felt like you needed to give yourself a shot starting your own agency? You know, by the time I got in college, I had pretty much decided I was just going to climb the corporate ladder. I had decided I'm going to take the safe route like my dad. And where'd you go to school? Utah State. Okay. So you left home completely, went somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Went to Utah State. I had this scholarship. I had full ride anywhere in Washington, um, but I literally couldn't afford the living costs of any of those colleges. I got into USC film program, couldn't afford to, to live there. And I didn't get a scholarship to USC. That was like 60 grand a year or something. So Utah State was cheap, man. You're talking $180 a month for rent, sharing 150 square foot room with three other guys, <laughs> just eating ramen, doing that whole thing, you know, working your way through school. But it was great. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I uh, my only goal in life was I just want to make 100 grand a year by the time I'm 30. If I could do that, I'll be successful. It was funny is while I had that goal, I was doing entrepreneurial stuff just without really knowing it. Like I worked for some sports print journal thing and I secured a bunch of sponsors for that. And then um, I got a wild hair and threw an MMA fight and um, did tons of Facebook marketing through like guerrilla marketing, like paying people to invite 200 people to the Facebook event, doing lawn signs. The cops were chasing me all over the place. I was doing lawn signs. I was flying I flyered like thousands of cars at every football game and they would chase me out but then it was too late for them to pick all the fires off <laughs> our first fight though our first MMA fight 2,000 people showed up wow. our venue only held like 800 so you had 1,200 people waiting outside the door and kept doing those throughout college but I think that's where like social media marketing really kind of I started to see the power of it Sure. The fact that, you know, this town has 100,000 people in it and we got 2,000 people to show up to an MMA fight in Northern Utah. Right. <laughs> like, right. that's totally nuts. Yeah, and so, what yeah. year was this? Uh, this was like 2009, okay. 2010. So right when social media was starting to become a little bit more mainstream, you immediately picked up on, hey, this could be an opportunity here. Yeah, and right around then is when YouTubers started to blow up. So you had mm -hmm. Devin Supertramp, you had Lindsey Sterling, 
you know, you had uh, Dude Perfect. All yeah. these guys started blowing up, and I was just obsessed with what they were doing. And I got plugged into this, this Utah YouTuber community. They had a big meetup, and I just started to get obsessed with viral video and stuff. I guess probably because I was a PR major. And my wife and I actually made a video and posted it, hardly even thinking anything of it, and it went viral. It got 10 million views. We got pulled onto Good Morning America, Primetime, wow. Tosh.0, Web Redemption, did all this crazy stuff. And then um, Mac and Cheese reached out, and they wanted to license our video. And it happened to be the agency that I had, that was my dream agency, Crispin Porter and Bogusky. They were the, the top creative agency of the decade. Mm. They had this really cool Miami ad school. Just everyone in the industry was just like, if you want to go big in this industry, you need to go there. And I was like, guys, go ahead, license the video. I'll license to each for free, but you got to interview me. And I got the job and they flew us out to LA and housed us, you know, third, three blocks from the beach in Santa Monica. And, and then a year later, Turkish Airlines came knocking. And um, I was supposed to be like the resident social viral, viral young gun there. And Turkish Airlines walked in and said, we want to make the most viral out of the all time. And you've got Kobe Bryant and Lionel Messi to do it. And everybody's like, cool, this is going to be easy. <laughs> Messi and, and Kobe, this will be easy. And I was like, guys, it's not going to be easy. That neither one of these guys have any ads on YouTube with more than 8 million views. Adidas, Nike, Gatorade, nothing. These guys, star power doesn't guarantee you views. And so I was able to get a two and a half million dollar seeding, viral seeding budget. Huge credit to, to my boss, Yvonne there, helping me score that. And we did the biggest influencer activation of all time. 650 influencers did um, shout outs. We had a bunch of celebrities tweeting. We did a ton of crazy um, video SEO stuff. We did partner publisher, HTML sharing buttons on video playing on all sorts of websites. We did a really crazy ad buy. We did all sorts of crazy stuff, Reddit seeding strategy, and it just, it exploded. And to this day, it's still the most viral ad of all time. And that was, um, that was kind of really like the big thing that, you know, set everything in motion. Yeah. So th from there, you were just kind of like, man, creative juice is flowing. I'm at the point where I would really like to do this, but for myself, essentially, like, like how, how, what's the timeline from then until you decided to start your own agency? I kind of was just going to stay at CPB. You know, I don't know what it was, but like that Turkish Airlines video went huge. And I felt like no one fully understand what, understood what had just happened. And, you know, I came up with the like overall concept. It was actually on my concept brief. I was like, hey, here's seven or eight at types of ideas that we could play off of. And one of them was the, sel was the selfie. This is the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year in 2013. That's the pitch that ended up winning. But because I was a social media strategist, I didn't get any recognition really. All the creatives, even at, uh, there were some account manager, junior account managers that were literally just like on a phone call, but never even participated in the client relationship. They all got Grand Prix, Gold Grand Prix awards in Cannes, which is like the, pretty much the greatest honor you could get. And I, I didn't get anything. Mm. And I was like, man, like, I feel like this was mostly credited to the distribution strategy and the right. content strategy for this, but no one really understands what just happened. And um, it was around that time 20th Century Fox gave me an offer and it was, you know, it was like 50% more than I was making. So I went over there and it just, it was a nightmare. I was not really? ready. I couldn't navigate it. It was just that crazy stereotypical. Was it a similar position? It was the director of social media at okay. 20th Century Fox. So I was over theatrical releases, you know, Planet of the Apes, Gone Girl, um, a lot of those movies. And um, dude, it was just so turbulent and just crazy over there. 
and that's literally the dream job I told my parents that I wanted to do when I was 11. And I just realized this is not, I'm not a Hollywood guy. This is not me. I don't wake up in the morning and just live to be involved in this world. Like yeah, yeah. I'm going to leave it to these people. I, I don't need to be in this world. And that's when I started Chamber Media. But I, that was my, my first daughter was born and I was working like 60, 70 hours a week. My dad got cancer. He got Parkinson's disease, both of which were from exposure working at Monsanto, wow. exposure to Roundup, and, and then divorce too. So all of this was happening all at the same time, all this life change. And I was like, dude, I can't do this. I can't work this 60, 70 hours a week for the rest of my life. I'm going to just end up like my dad, you know, right. great guy. But, you know, in the end, he kind of just got taken advantage of by everybody. Definitely a big moment of reflection, huh? Yeah. yeah, it was a hard time. It was a really hard time. And I actually, I got laid off from 20th century. I was three months in and they're like, dude, I kind of was giving the signs like, guys, like I'm not, I'm not a quitter, but like, I really wish I could quit, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, yeah. I, but like, I won't like allow myself. Yeah. And they, they just, and it was amazing too. It was uh, Alec McNair and Alan Beard. They actually owned an agency called McBeard. It was like an internal agency at 20th Century Fox. We worked on the lot. Basically, we were 20th century employee people, but they gave me a severance. They gave me 15 grand severance after only being there for three months, which I don't even understand. I think it must just been because they're like, man, this guy sucks, but he's a nice guy. Like, <laughs> really? That must have been it. They're like, this guy is kind of a loser, but like, we like him. You know, he tries really hard. And that severance is, is really that. That was, I read the four hour work week that week before I got let go. And I was like, this, this book's totally BS, total BS. But maybe a 40 hour work week is possible. I'd, yeah, I'd be happy with 40. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like cut my hours in half. Yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then I read the hundred dollar startup, which is just a bunch of stories of people who started companies with hundred bucks. And that was all I had. So we blew through that 15 grand. We didn't get any clients for the first three months started living on credit cards. And the end of that third month, we got, we got a client like a $60,000 deal over four months. And it was all history from there. So you were immediately thinking big with your agency then, right? Because I mean, if your first contract's a $60,000 contract, you're not looking for like a mom and pop shop to run Facebook ads to their yogurt shop, right? So like talk to me a little bit about your, your strategy going into starting that business. Yeah, I think about that a lot. You know, most people when they start out in a marketing service business, they're starting out with $800 deals, $500 deals, or they're straight up on Fiverr, you know, $15 yeah, an hour. Right. I just realized I had seen into enough purchase orders, production contracts at CPB that I knew what kind of money was out there. I knew what kind of money was out there. I had the Kobe Messi project that I could tout. And I just, I knew, I knew how big these deals could be. And I knew what kind of results and what kind of revenue could be driven. And so I went for big deals. I think it was about seven or eight months in Nordic track called. And um, I I think I got a $180,000 deal plus ad spend. And we filled a barn with 50 treadmills, had people dancing on treadmills, the world's largest treadmill dance. And um, it it crushed it. It it was like homepage of women's health, you know, daily, daily mail, mirror, all those viral websites. Um, And America's Got Talent reached out and actually brought our dance thing on the show and got 8 million primetime viewers for free. And that, that project really got the, the gears moving. But yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> it was feast and famine, man. Because like when you're going for those big deals, you pretty much have to accept 
that you're going to lose on 90% of them. Yeah, right, right. And I just well, thought... Because like, that 180 grand is, I mean, sounds like a lot, but after you rent out a barn and uh, pay a bunch of people to come dance on treadmills, <laughs> like there's like you start, you start rolling through that budget pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I, I bet our gross margin on that, because we had 12 influencers in it as well. You know, they're... Mm-hmm. They're like two to 20 grand each. Right. So I, I bet we ended up with like 30, 40 grand, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, you don't want to leave a lot of margin on the table when you're trying to make a big imprint. Sure. And, sure. Right. Yeah. I think that first year I made, I brought home 70 grand and half of that was from Nordic Trek. So think about, think about how painful those certain five, three, two, three month periods were. It was just yeah. like, but that's, that was the strategy, you know, and I stuck to it. I was like, we've got to be premium. We've got to be ultra premium, high yeah, end. Right, right. Otherwise, if we don't start out this way, we're never going to get that way. And now, you know, we just a few months ago launched a program where now we're making videos for $800 a piece. But, but we're also still selling, you know, $250,000 projects. So we, we've covered the whole value ladder, but we had to start out premium in order to do that. So, so let's talk a little bit about how to create ads that are actually going to work in today's landscape. Obviously, back in the day, it was a little bit different. There was a lot less, uh, a, a lot fewer competitors out there also buying ad space on these social platforms. And uh, so now uh, competition is a, a little bit more fierce and ad costs are a little bit higher. What can we do to, to win the game if we are spending on some of these platforms? The big reason that Chamber Media has gone from 20 employees to 100 in the last year is because of creative and because of the rising ad costs. And, and up until about a year or two ago, if you had a really great product and a great funnel and great website, Facebook ads were undervalued enough that you could get a two or three or four to one ROI with very cheap creative. You could run image assets or GIFs or lifestyle imagery stuff and do really well. And a lot of people didn't even use video. And we actually, all the time, all the time, we'd have calls with people and say, look, spend a hundred grand a month and I'm getting 300 grand back with these image ads. Why would I spend 50, a hundred grand with you guys for some big video? And then we'd show them our case studies, right? Transparent labs, we took from 2 million to, to, to 24 million in two years. Mr. Cool, we took from 10 million to a hundred million in three years. Nurse skin care, took from 40,000 to 4 million in six months. Pool fence DIY, we took from 1 million to 5 million. Invisa socks from one to 3 million. I mean, it just like goes on and on and on. And it was this expensive creative. Um, But in the last year, it became a scaling opportunity. Now it's completely a necessity. And uh, over the last year or two as well, like we've gotten more and more efficient with our production processes. And now, you know, we've got 12,000 feet of studio and 60, 70 out of those hundred people are all just video creators, writers, producers, the rest are ad buyers. And now our economies of scale are just nuts. Like we're shooting 20 to 60 second live action videos for pretty much cheaper than anybody else. And, And they're highly optimized and they're good. So maybe what we should do though is just talk about what kind of ads should be people be making? Because I'm in the I'm in the opinion now, and I, I imagine you've seen this, Travis. That ad costs are just so high now. If you don't have creative, good creative, you're you're probably dead. You're probably screwed. Yeah, yeah. It's, especially if you're in any sort of a competitive space at all. If you're trying to grab market share from other competitors who are also running ads to the same audience, 
and there's no different, you know, no, no differentiator between you and them, then you're just going to continue seeing your ad costs go up. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen, we've seen an average ad buyer with elite content can beat an elite ad buyer with average content all day long. That's the advantage of social of social advertising, right? Is the, the tagging, the sharing, the engagement, that's what gives it the advantage over something like television or radio, right? Yeah. And, and, and above all too, it's the data. It's, you know, Facebook's got the richest data of any platform in mankind. They've built the encyclopedia of what Travis Chappelle is into, you know? Yeah. Right. By the way, is it Chappelle or Chapel? Chapel. Chapel. All right. Dave Chappelle, man. Are you yeah. guys related? You guys brothers? Yeah, Dave. Uh, Dave really screwed me on that because everybody <laughs> discusses Chappelle all the time. So I just <laughs> go with it at this point, man. I just go with it and let people say Chappelle. <laughs> that's that's awesome. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with. Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So tell me then what would be like if somebody's listening to this right now and they're like, okay, I'm running a bunch of ads right now. We're spending you know, a bunch of money on social ads every single month. What would I be able to do? Like, What are some questions I should ask myself to be able to audit what I have right now and change it up immediately? Okay. So we've got a formula. We call it the seven foundational ads. And two years ago, we started noticing patterns with ads. Obviously, the spokesperson Dollar Shave Club anchor videos we had been doing for a long time. We had those dialed, but you know that's those can only really be one fifth or one tenth of your content. You've got to have all the retargeting videos, all the like lower cost, shorter retargeting videos that you're refreshing all the time. And so we went and we analyzed the eighty million dollars that we had spent over the last six years, uh, over thirty thousand different creative assets, 
and we hired some machine learning engineers who went and codified everything. And what we found is that there were a hundred ad types that were most likely to get performance. And so we went through one by one and we named all of those ads. And we started thinking about in biology, you have genus, species, you know what I mean? You have the Latin name for the family of dogs. Then you have different types of canines under that. And then it goes one further. And we're like, well, and it's called a taxonomy. We're like, well, maybe there's an ad taxonomy for which ads work. And sure enough, we found seven categories of ads that generally get the most performance. And this is the checklist that I recommend everyone go through and look. Go through, look, look through your ad account and see if you have all of these categories covered. So one is spokesperson video. Obviously, that's a you know, minute plus long, has some production value, very fast paced. It's just a salesperson doing their pitch. Two is a product demo, which is obvious. I think everyone has a product demo, but there's dozens of different ways to, to do product demos. Three is social proof or evidence ads. That's um, press features, you know, influencer content, UGC, anything like that. Four is closer ads. So closer ads are add to cart reminders, a post-purchase ad from the founder saying, thank you for joining the family. Thank you for purchasing discount codes, urgency plays. You'll, we'll have a spokesperson. will write down the five most common objections and have overcoming objection ads in retargeting. These are like your low, low funnel stuff. Five is case study. Case study is just really any empirical evidence, whether you have clinical trials, whether you have um, a before and after video, a side-by-side -side comparison, anything you can do to empirically support what your claims are in a way that feels kind of scientific, feels kind of quantifiable, that's a case study ad. Six is lifestyle ads. Lifestyle ads are just the aspirational Nike, showing people walking around, using it, you know, your hype reel, whatever, just setting the mood and the emotion around what your product is. And then seven is unboxing and unboxing is just showing it showing up at the door on the, on the table, doing a stop motion animation of what it's like when the product comes out of the box using the product. So these seven ads, we call the seven foundational ads. These are, and I'll just review them again. It's spokesperson ad, product demo, social proof or evidence ad, closer ads, case study, lifestyle and unboxing. We've pretty much found that if an ad account makes all of those types of creative and tests those, you'll find out that some of it works and some of it doesn't. For the stuff that doesn't work, you basically go and you make variations of different types. Okay, we showed an unboxing on the doorstep and it's showing up and someone picking up the door and opening it didn't really convert. Why? Well, we don't know. Let's try a stop motion animation on a tabletop with just somebody's hands. And testimonials too, you know, we've ran seven or eight testimonials, even top of funnel and six of them won't work and one will. Mm. And it's just because of, you know, for a beauty product, it's just because the skin tone of the person using the product and it's their facial expression. And so you just start kind of going down the line in this process. And we've developed this process where we can look at an account now and we can perform a gap analysis where we actually run all their creative in, in this program against our database to see where the holes are. Yeah. 
And we took it a step further and we actually pulled the top 2,000 Shopify stores, top 1% of ad creatives. So, you know, Facebook's got that publicly available Mm -hmm. on the ads library. And we correlated views, engagement, and how long the ad has ran to our own ads and correlated those numbers. And what we found is our ads on average outperform the top 1% of the top 2,000 Shopify e-commerce stores by 37%. Wow. But, what it, but what we did is then we went, took a step further. We created a Facebook group. It's called Unicorn Ad Creative. And we post three times a day, we post top performing ads of these Shopify stores with these metrics, with estimated revenues driven. And then we kind of, you know, just discuss why that, that ad creative may have worked or maybe why it didn't. So anyways, that's the formula. That's the approach that we've taken that is really working well. Do you find that this is something that can work across multiple product types or is this mainly e-commerce products specifically? We've seen it work across all types. The only two types that we have traditionally struggled in is food and beverage. I wouldn't say real estate. We just haven't done a lot of real estate stuff. We get tons of real estate leads and they usually just don't, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know about the real estate side of things. I haven't really tested it much, but yeah, food and beverage can be tough. That being said though, like one of our greatest case studies is pot belly sandwiches. They Mm -hmm. hired us before COVID and that we were their Hail Mary, you know, we were their like dirty little secret. Let's Mm -hmm. throw this little agency out in Utah and see what they do. And we increased nationwide sales by 7% at like a five to one ROAS selling sandwiches during COVID. And you know, that just shows the power of, of creative for sure. For sure. But uh, yeah, man, that's, it. I've seen it work um, for SaaS. We've seen it work for service companies. We've seen it work for apps, trades. About like info products and stuff like that. We've seen it work for info products. We're right now, we're running all of ClickFunnels ad spend oh, really? right now. And we're shooting mini anchor videos with Russell every single month. Mm. So we've shot two of those now and it's, it's working really well. We're already seeing big improvements with our creative there. We just started working with Dean Graziosi, Krista Mashore, all big, big in, into the info product game. But you look at us too. The highest return on ad spend client we have ever had is Chamber Media. So up until a year ago, we never ran ads for ourselves. We were just too busy. We were too small to like pull away. And we were the doctor who smoked. We were the 300 pound doctor. That's <laughs> what we were. So we started making our own ads and go figure 32 to one ROAS on a $35,000 a month spend. Highest return. And you do the math on that, you know, we're closing 600 grand to 1.2 million a month in new business right now. In new business. In new business. Wow. New business. And would this be for like those lower tier products that you started to create? It's all over the board. You know, it's a half dozen six figure deals. And then it's like, a couple dozen smaller deals. You know, the bigger we get, the more the more value ladder we can just add, add, add. Sure. And you know, getting to know Russell has helped a lot. Reading his books has helped us a lot to figure out. Oh man, we have all these different things we could sell. Yeah. That we haven't been taking advantage of, and um, we just opened up this self checkout thing called One in the Chamber, where you can you can just buy an ad. You pick your colors, you pick the ad type, you you write your own script, and then we go shoot it for you. And, and we never even talked to you. It's just like, boom, delivered in a week. Nice. Um, and that's popping off, you know, and then we launched a course and we got this group that's now 
1600 members in two weeks and we're going to have a paid group with that. So it's um, building that premium brand, you know, and having the, the case studies and then it's crushing it at the ad spend in our own creative. We went and made our own anchor videos and retargeting videos and we're shooting new stuff every month, you know, to refresh our own chamber. So it's like, it's just cool. Cause like you practice, you have failures, you know, we've had a lot of clients that fail. Sure. Or that, that it's going well, but for some reason they don't see it and they hate us. You know, it happens. It sucks. And, you know, lawyers don't win every lawsuit. And um, <laughs> not every doctor can cure your cancer. You may die anyways and spend a hundred grand with this doctor. And, but um, we've just seen that it's really rewarding to do it for ourselves and see it work better for ourselves than, than literally anybody else. That's like very, been very validating for us. Oh, I'm sure, man. I'm sure. Well, I, I got to ask you, I got to ask you a little bit about some of the key relationships that you've helped you along the way. You mentioned Russell just now, and I'm sure that there's a bunch of other people. You've mentioned a couple of people at the beginning that kind of helped transition from job to job and then um, helped with the severance here and there. And like, you've had some people that have kind of stepped up. Um, is there anybody that, that you haven't mentioned that you would, that you would like to maybe, you know, throw a little bit of kudos to or anybody that kind of helped you along the way or been a big mentor or just like, you know, shoulder the cry on, so to speak, during some of the bad times, like anything like that come to mind? Yeah, there have been some guys along the way that really helped me out. Cameron Manwaring, he was at a company called Shareability. They were the vendor we used for Kobe versus Messi. And they had 20 people messaging editors around the world, all in different languages. And we were, I think we reached out to 8,000 editors. We got 2,000 press features. Cameron was a huge inspiration. Devin Supertramp, Devin Graham, the YouTuber, mm -hmm. uh, he held a meetup back in like 2012, 2011. There were 300 of us in that room and a good two or three dozen of the people in that room have gone on to do seven figures with YouTube or new media related ventures. And I, it all is connected to Devin. Wow. Inspiring people. The, there was this Utah YouTubers community, Facebook group, that was really huge. But yeah, it's been Trevor Hiltbrand at, at Transparent Labs and Jason Ingram over at um, Mr. Cool. Those two case studies have taken us far, far beyond where we ever could have without them trusting in us and staying with us for you know over two and a half years. You know, those long-term relationships, those investments have been really huge for us. Yeah. So the answer is yes. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Along the way. So, so absolutely. I got so to ask you this then, man, because you're obviously somebody who is constantly trying to perfect your craft. And it's something that you have a lot of skill in now at this point, and probably a little bit of natural talent that you cultivated over a long period of time of developing this skill set even further. Um, so I'm curious to hear what your answer would be for this question. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? Which of those two do you view as being more important and why? I think who you know, absolutely. Because there's just very little original thought. You just can't really invent ideas or ways of doing things on your own. There are processes, there are building blocks, there are foundational things that, that require you to be inspired by what someone else has done. All of the great artists, you know, Pablo Picasso, great art, you know, good artists copy, great artists steal. And he literally stole that from a guy from a hundred years prior. And that guy stole it from some Greek philosopher, ironically. So everything builds on everything else. And honestly, almost every good idea I have ever had is just building on someone else's idea. I mean, the treadmill dance. The treadmill dance was done by OK Go like four years prior. 
that went mega viral. We just ripped off that idea and made it our own, like blatantly ripped it off. And that's just how it is. That's like all these great, great artists, man. They're all just built on the backs of the, the, the previous artists, you know, like Picasso was, I love, I love studying Picasso because what he did, you know, at the time there was Matisse was big too. And those guys would just feud and compete with each other. But I mean, Picasso, he just, he, he, he had been classically traditionally trained in these photorealistic portraits. That is what was lucrative at the time. And I guarantee you, he, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he got the idea. I can't remember what his form of art was. Was it surrealism? I can't remember. But he got the idea from African tribal carvings. He Mm. went to Africa. He found some carvings that were just all distorted and disfigured body types. And he just fell in love with them. So Picasso didn't invent Picasso. He ripped it off from African culture like everybody else does with everything. (laughs) But then he did it for a few rich people and no one else had a distorted, weird portrait of themselves. And then all the elite got into this huge feeding frenzy of like, I've got to have a Picasso. He wasn't a great, he wasn't the greatest artist of all time. He was just an insanely genius marketer Mm. who just sourced this idea and brought it to this market. And then everyone had to have it. And it was just a feeding frenzy. And he became one of the most famous painters of all time. And, and that's just how, you know, it's all building off of things other people have done. And so when people just start pointing at their own greatness and talking about how smart they are, it's just like, now you, you just b- borrowed a bunch of ideas from other people and put it together. Yeah. You know? like Dollar Shave Club. He got the idea from Old Spice. Old Spice guys probably got the idea from... Axe. <laughs> Axe. And they, you know, it just, it's just right, all right, a right. big ripoff scene and... You just got to steal it and make it your own and just own the fact that nothing's really original, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And, and like you said, as long as you're, you know, making it your own and, and giving credit to where credit's due and, um, and going about it that way, then I mean, that's what everybody does, right? I mean, that's like, there's nothing new under the sun is basically what you're saying, but the relationships that you have can bring those things to light and, uh, and help you kind of discover more of those, uh, more of those paths that might be able, that you might be able to actually take in your life. Yeah. I, I have, I've said this so many times before. I really think networking in any industry that's not like medicine or engineering or, you know, those, those really left brained type of industries. I do think that networking is the greatest, most lucrative skill that you could possibly have. Networking and sales, like pretty much anyone in business, marketing, finance, I mean, finance is by far probably the most lucrative thing on the planet. Just on average, like your somewhat intelligent person in finance can make tens of millions of dollars without really being that smart. Like it's, it's just mostly networking and sales. Those are by far the most valuable skills in, in my opinion. Yeah. Love it, bro. Love it. I'm, I mean, there's so many things that, uh, that you and I agree on and I uh, can't wait to uh, start working with you guys with a couple of the projects that we have going on. Um, over at my company and um, looking forward to uh, uh, coming coming out to Utah and spend a little bit of time out there. So Travis, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. We got to move on to the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Building Airbnbs, exotic, crazy Airbnbs, like a 747 hanging off a cliff or like buying a water tower, converting that into a, that's my retirement dream is to design and build crazy Airbnbs. Yeah, that'd be a blast. 
For sure. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, it's got to be Jesus. Who beats Jesus? <laughs> how, how do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Audiobooks, yeah, I can't, I can't read physical well, books. What's a good audiobook that you'd recommend everybody? Any of Russell's books. I've been diving deep into those. And they're all money. Expert secrets, dot-com secrets, traffic secrets. Been loving those. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Wake up, shower, breakfast, and uh, I'm out. I don't, have, I don't have a great morning routine. I've always aspired, but pretty bad, pretty boring. I get up at like 7.38, <sighs> nothing special. Oh, I have started doing the Wim Hof thing though, but I don't do it in the morning. I don't like to do anything extreme in the morning. Uh, no way. Just like getting going, you know? You're just talking about the Wim Hof breathing or you're doing like cold plunges or something? I got, I got one of those cold baths out in the backyard uh, jumping right. in there. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, man. Disturbed. Just any album from Disturbed is like ready to run, ready to work out, ready to go. What is something that you are just not very good at? Finance. All right. <laughs> so I was waiting for something else to come out there. Yeah. Accounting, uh, finance. <laughs> as, as we get everything wrapped up here, Travis, what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Cool. I'm the awesome. most, I'm the most vocal there. Also, I really highly recommend people go look up um, Unicorn Facebook ad creatives group. Join that group. It is like money and it's free. And um, actually later today I'm going live in that group, which doesn't, pertain to this podcast because it's going to come out in the next few months. But anyways, go check it out. You can go sign, find today's live stream and it will be a month old, but you can go watch it. Unicorn Facebook ads. Do you have like a, anywhere, like any sort of special link that they can go to to find that or just go search unicorn Facebook ads and groups and just pop up? Yeah. Yeah. Just search it. That does make me think we need to get a domain up for it. Make it more searchable, but yeah. unicorn Facebook ad creatives and it will, it will pop up. Unicorn Facebook ad creatives head over there, join the group. I know that's something that I'm going to be joining for sure. Travis, thanks so much for coming to the show today, brother. It's always a fantastic time chatting with you. You too. Thanks, Travis. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. 
There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.